Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zane Nockby back with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And I do want to thank Zane for holding down the fort for me. I've been away for, oh man, about a month. They did a couple shows without me. Uh, Zane did a solo show where he did a really great tribute to Dwight Clark. And then Zane and our buddy Dylan Simone did a show as well uh, while I was out. So thanks to Dylan for filling in for me and, and Zane. Definitely good listens there. And I'm pumped. I'm so pumped to be back. And the season is right around the corner. We just have just a couple weeks until training camp, and then things are really going to kick up. I know there's so much excitement for this season, so much excitement for this 49ers team. And look, you guys as a fan base, you deserve it. It's been a long time since the excitement's been here. And I know we had the Jim Harbaugh era, but it was a long time before that. And the Harbaugh era wasn't very long. And then fallen back into the doldrums. And, and now it looks like this team is back to at least being a competitive team that looks like it could push for the playoffs. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really fun season. And, and I can't wait to be here. And with all the guests we're going to have on and cover training camp and the preseason and the games, it's just going to be so much fun and communicating with you guys on Twitter and everything else. I'm really, really looking forward to it. We've got a great show planned today too. We have our guest Larry Kruger and then Zane and I are going to catch up on some stuff since it's been a while since we've been on. We'll talk about Ruben Foster's suspension and just some expectations that we have from the team and different players and different positions before we really start to break everything down as training camp opens the week of the 23rd. Um, so that's all going to be fun and we will get into all of that. But before Zane and I do talk about expectations and Foster, let's bring on Larry. With today's appearance, our guest officially ties Matt Barrows as the only three-time guest we've had on the show. It's always a fun conversation with the one and only Larry Kruger. Larry, thanks for coming back on. Hey, thanks for inviting me back on. Always a great conversation. We always really look forward to talking with you because you, you, I just think you have so many great takes on the Niners. And I wanted to start off with Jimmy Garoppolo. And the reason for that, obviously, you know, he's the hot name. And this guy's been built up to the point where anything less than a pro bowl pro bowl season will almost seem like a disappointment. Do you think expectations are almost too high for him right now? I mean, shouldn't we accept ex, ex, expect some ups and downs in his first full season? You know, I think there's, I mean, we've never seen him lose. I mean, as a starter, I mean, he's seven and zero as a starter, he's five and zero with the 49ers. Um, I think it's just human nature, you know, we're, you know, and it's not just that he's undefeated either. It's, it's kind of, it's the laser accuracy, the, the, the unbelievable, uh, you know, the quickness of the release is just incredible. And his ability to digest this offense, you know, it's weird. It's like on one hand, everything that I know about football tells me that there's no reason that he shouldn't be better this year in this super complex offense. I mean, look at the numbers that Matt Ryan had year one to year two in Kyle Shanahan's offense. If, If Jimmy, you know, who's I'm sure pretty diligent, you know, spending the off season learning this, the intricacies of this offense. I think I could make a more compelling argument that he should be better than what he was last year. And how do you, how do you improve on undefeated and, and, you know, one of the more prolific quarterbacks in football. So it's, it's an odd, it's an odd situation for sure. But if you made me say, Jimmy Garoppolo will be worse than what we saw last year or better than what we saw last year, I'm going to side with better. Hey, Larry Zane here. And I was listening to you guys earlier this morning. And then on the way home, I heard uh, the, your intro song, like John Legend's like ready to go right now. I feel like we should have played that when you came on 
but I'm not sure like if we have to give like royalties to John Legend. So maybe David can like, you know, edit that in and like we can give you like the actual proper, you know, make you feel a, a little bit at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm either way is fine with me <laughs> but as uh but as far as uh the guys that jimmy garoppolo is going to be throwing to when i look at this wide receiver group i don't think there's one player that really stands out or scares you but like as a collective group of talent uh they're they're pretty talented they've got a lot of d- diverse skill sets what are your thoughts on these guys in 2018 well, it's this is another this is another angle, another area where I think you got to be really excited. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo did what he did last year, largely without Pierre Garcon, who's a terrific route runner, with very dependable uh, receiver. So he's going to have him now. So I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this this receiving core is very very underwhelming. And if you really are kind of looking at it from afar, you could actually say it's a weakness. Uh, because they don't have that Julio Jones. They don't have that, you know, A.J. Green. They don't have a true number one. But what they do is they have, they do have is a, is a bunch of receivers that I think fit pretty well together. You know, you have Goodwin who stretches the field. Um, you have, you have Garcon who, who runs really, really terrific routes. You have Trent Taylor, I think, in a short amount of time has proven that he, he can get open in the slot. Um, and that's just the first tier of guys. Now, the guy who I think can impact things dramatically, and I know this sounds crazy because you're talking about an undrafted free agent, but I'm a huge fan of Kendrick Bourne. And every time I look up, it seems like Kendrick Bourne is spending time in the facility, getting reps, getting better. Um, I thought at the end of last year, he showed on a few different few different plays, you know, big time run after the catch ability. I'm not saying Jerry Rice, John Taylor run after the catch ability, but better run after the catch ability than I've seen on almost any other receiver besides that duo in a Niner uniform. So I'm really, I'm really, really excited about Kendrick Bourne. I got to be honest, I'm more excited about Kendrick Bourne and maybe even a little bit more excited about some of these secondary receivers like Richie James and Steven Dunbar than I am even on Dante Pettis. I, I, I'm not a big mm-hmm. fan of the Pettis pick. Um, if To me, he's he, he'll be like found money. I mean, I'm expecting mm-hmm. him to get beat up at the line of scrimmage, be unable to avoid the jam at the line, be hurt a lot, and, and be relatively ineffective. So that, I, I have really low expectations for Pettis. If Pettis is equal to a second-round pick, they're going to have a very good wide receiver core. That would be just a gigantic misfire if Pettis is bad. With the, you I know, you know, love it the, because there's so many different. There were so many better options in my mind. Now, Kyle Shanahan knows receivers. I mean, and, yeah. you know, we, we you got to defer to him to some degree based on the success he had in in identifying receivers. But man, there were not. If you go back and look at that list, um, there was a bunch of guys there, including including um, Christian Kirk from Texas A&M, who's at Arizona. They probably didn't touch him because of the off-field concerns. But Michael Gallup from Colorado State went to Dallas. Uh, You had uh, DJ Chark from um, LSU, big, fast receiver, went to Jacksonville. I mean, there were a bunch of guys who came off the board all right there who were big-time players. Anthony Miller, the favorite of mine from Memphis, I think went to the Bears. yeah, you know, I would have had, rather had every single one of those receivers than the guy they took, but we'll see. We'll see. Pettis had it's a great return man, and he's got big time numbers in college. We'll see if he can, um, you know, get put on some some strength and deal with you know the Marcus Peters and the 
Aqib Talibs and the Patrick Petersons of the world that live in this live inside this division. Yeah, it's not to go off topic here because this is one of the questions we had, but their their draft was a little weird to me. And I not say that I thought their draft was bad because I thought they made some good picks, but it just I don't know. Last year when I looked at their draft, everything seemed to make sense. And this year I just thought it was strange. Well, what was your kind of take on their draft, Larry? Well, I really didn't like it initially because like you and many others, I didn't look at offensive tackle as a need going into the draft. And so or as a primary need. So when they devoted their first round pick to to, you know, um going with McGlinchey, you know, I, I I was not a huge fan. Uh, and it has nothing to do with McGlinchey. Um, uh, but then the more I talked to Niner people and the more I realized what Trent Brown was, he was a guy who was grossly overweight on a contract year, physically not a hundred percent, um, at the time of the deal. I mean, it's a, it was a major roll of the dice to go with him. And I think, you know, going with McGlinchey, kind of setting themselves up long term at that position, actually, I think is really going to be a smart move. But I didn't love it on, on the day of the draft. And I got to be honest, I didn't love the draft because I didn't love Pettis in, in the second round. And, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about Warner, the linebacker from BYU. But I would, I'd, I'd pump the brakes on, on that as well because, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not that impressed by linebackers who, you know, light it up in OTAs, you know, show me, show me when the lights are on, show me when the pads are on. Um, because I, I watched a lot of film of Warner and to me, I see a grab and drag tackler who lacks strength and lacks, lacks pop at the point of attack. And it, to me, he seems like a, like a specialty linebacker, like a, like a coverage specialist. Now the league's going to more pass coverage. I mean, you know, more passing. So you need more coverage linebackers, but I was, you know, for a guy on the what day two of the draft, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more, you know, of a, of a linebacker who can separate you from the football and, and step into the hole and, and take on guards and blow, blow up plays in the backfield. And I think Warner's a, might, might, you know, he might be effective, but he's, I don't think he's that kind of player. And I, and we'll see. I, uh, my, he's another guy that I, um, durability concerns would be at the top of my list. Now, looking back at last year's draft, though, one player it looks like they definitely hit on was George Kittle. And in his rookie season, he actually had more receiving yards than guys like Graham Gates, Ertz, Reed, and Vernon Davis did in their rookie years. Do you see Kittle as having a big breakout season in 2018? I do. I really do. You know, he's, he's everything that you're looking for. First of all, he's always the biggest improvement is always year one to year two. And then you had a guy in Kittle who I think if you were, if you, if you know, you got him to be totally honest, he would probably admit that he entered the NFL without a true NFL body. And from the people that I've talked to who have been down there, who have seen kind of his off season come together, he's physically a lot more sudden, a lot more explosive. He's heavier, but faster. I mean, he's really benefited from an NFL off season. And I think you're going to see a guy who already had the desire and the hands and the route running ability, but now you're going to see a guy who's physically stepping into his his prime and physically improving quite a bit, and I expect him to have a real real productive year. Now, another guy in the offense, Jared McKinnon, he's being paid like a full-time feature back, but he doesn't really have the track record, and some people think he may be sharing carries with Matt Breda. Do you feel like McKinnon will get 
the the bulk of the load, or do you think this is kind of like a platoon sort of situation? In fact, I think McKinnon is going to be a fantasy superstar. I mean, I could ver- I could easily I could easily envision games where he has you know three receptions for eighty five yards and two touchdowns. You know, I mean, where he mm-hmm. where he has you know you throw him. The, first of all, you have you have the combination of everything that you're looking for in big plays out of the backfield. You got a, a quarterback who's very smart who can hit guys in stride. Um, you have an offense that really wants to utilize the running back as a receiving threat. And then you have arguably the preeminent receiving running back in the game who's got big-time home run hitter ability as far as the ability to make big chunk plays, chunk yardage plays in the pass game. So he, I think, is going to put up big, big numbers in this offense as a receiver. My big question with him is if you have a 10-point lead and it's the fourth quarter and you're looking to ice the game, can you run him between the tackles and can he be effective? Can he stay healthy? Can he be effective? And can you win the game You know, with him? I, I, to me, if there's, there's one piece that I would like to see added to this team between now and week one, it would be an, another back You know, to go with Brita and and McKinnon, who I think are going to be ideal in the outside zone scheme, ideal as receivers. But they, you know, it'd be nice if they had a 220 pound back who they could run between the tackles um, and depend on to hold the ball. And now Joe Williams is a bigger back, but you know his fumbling is a real concern. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. Guys who fumble in college tend to fumble, fumble in the pros, and he fumbled an awful lot in college. So that, that I think, is a major concern. I think the coaching staff has a very short leash on, on Joe Williams because of his ability to put the ball or his you know, weakness of putting the ball on the carpet. And that, you just can't do that in the NFL. So he's big, he's strong, he's fast. Can he break tackles? Does he love football? And can he hold on to the football? I mean, I think if, if those are all positive answers, then maybe the 49ers are going to be even better than I thought. But I, I, I really would love it if they had one more 215 to 225 pound running back. Yeah, especially with all the injuries at running back. If if Breeder or McKinnon go down, all of a sudden you you have issues. <laughs> you know, they they because you like you said you don't know what you're getting in Williams. They I agree with you, Larry. I think they need to add someone else. But moving over to the defense, I feel like there's so many good young pieces there, but the pass rush is still an issue. And I know you were a big um, proponent of the Atachu signing, but is there enough there or, or is this team going to be in trouble because they didn't really address that pass rush? Yeah. I mean, they're really leaning on some no name guys, um, you know, and, and this is another spot. Like it would not shock me if the 49ers traded a mid round pick to Jacksonville for Dante Fowler, you know, in, in the, in this summer, because I think Fowler could be a real help. I mean, I really like the two guys they're leaning on. Um, Cassius Marsh and um, and Atachu Atachu. I, I think both those guys are going to be really a lot more effective than than people think. But I think it's also safe to say that they probably could use a little bit more. Now they, it's you know, what role are they going to use Solomon Thomas in? You know, I mean, do we know that yet? I know Solomon Thomas is going to be inside with Buckner on you know, in the, in the sub package, but on first and second down, is Solomon Thomas going to, going to play the Leo uh, or is he going to, is he going to play inside? And, and if he does play outside, can he bend that edge and get the quarterback? You know, can he, can he, can he put a little heat uh, as a pass rusher? And I'm looking for big improvement from him as well this year. Um, but yeah, they have, you know, I will say this on the D line. 
they got so many talented players on that defensive line. Yeah. I don't know if they all fit. You know, I don't know if Armstead fits. I don't know if Blair fits. I don't know exactly how these guys fit. You know, and talking to Barrows on the show a few weeks ago, he says in the sub package, they're going with Solomon Thomas and Buckner on the inside, Marsh and Atouchu on the outside. Um, you know, that that's going to be, I'd really love to see what that looks like. You know, I'd like to see how that stands up against the run. And I'd like to see, you know, what kind of pass rush they can put on with the, with that combo. A Tauchu was not, was a pretty high pick and he's a tremendous athlete. And I just really think that if he wasn't sitting behind Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, which is probably mm. the preeminent tandem of outside rushers in the game, I, I think he's a big time player right now. So I'm, I'm looking for a Tauchu to really, to really flash this summer. Larry, do you think there's anything to this Des Bryant stuff? I mean, is there any way he ends up on the Niners or is this just one of those things where people say, oh, he might fit there and, and, and throw it at a wall and see what sticks? Is there any way Des Bryant comes to San Francisco? It, this is one of those things. If I say no chance, he signs before the, before the <laughs> podcast even drops. <laughs> you know, we'll be at it. No, but I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I, don't, I, I think um, he's not, he's not um, you know, Kyle Shanahan likes speed. And Des doesn't have speed. You know, Kyle likes receivers that, that, you know, that block down the field. Um, does Des do that? I, 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 in some ways, I think Des Bryant might be one of the more overrated players in the last decade in the NFL. He, 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 was, he was a great player in uh, college. He was billed to be a greater player than he was, but he was still very productive at Oak State. But it just, you know, he's, he's a guy that has lost a step. He didn't have a step to lose. So no, I don't. I I really don't. I, I would not be surprised if the Forty ers you know, added a, a receiver to this mix if they felt like there was a guy out there. Um, but I don't think Dez is that guy. Do you think there's anyone on the team, either side of the ball, who might be in trouble in terms of maybe being a surprise cut? You know, possibly Earl Mitchell, just from the standpoint of okay. DJ Jones is a really nice player. Uh, he's got quick feet, 320 pounds. He's got a year now more in the defense. Um, they got an awful lot of talent on that defensive line, you know, and, and the numbers are going to, when it comes right down to it, it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be very competitive on that defensive line. And I think Earl Mitchell as a veteran nose guard, who doesn't give you a lot of rush. I, I, you know, I would not be surprised if he got lopped off. I think, you know, the NFL is a copycat league guys. And, and the one, the one aspect of the Eagles that, I mean, there's, there's really a couple aspects of, of the Eagles run that I think teams will copy this year. One of them is I think you're going to see teams go for, go for it on fourth down at a much higher percentage because the Eagles did that and they were effective doing it. Um, and then I think you're also going to see that the Eagles trend of every guy on their D line was a pass rusher, especially in the sub package. I think you're going to see teams copy that. I think I think the 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 era of the run plugger, you know, the guy who's solely a run plugger, that guy's not gonna he's he's not gonna be he's gonna be extinct, and the guys who are in the league like that are not gonna they're not gonna draw big salaries. You got you have to be able to rush the passer. Um, I think teams will give away, you know, they'll give away plays against the run to make sure that they have at least four pass rushers on their defensive front. I mean, we saw it last year with Brandon Graham and, and all those pass rushers the Eagles had. And I think the Niners in some ways are ideally suited to, to put a line out there that can, can rush the passer. And I think Mitchell's the guy who gets squeezed. 
Larry, before we let you go, I, I know for you, Dwight Clark was an idol who ended up becoming a friend to you. And I wonder if you'd be willing to just say a few words about Dwight Clark and what he meant to you and to the 49ers family as a whole. Yeah, I mean, this is this one's so tough, you know. Um, you know, I grew up in the Sunset District. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show. It's like, I grew up, I was in the city, I, you know, and I remember I was born in the 70s. So, you know, by the time I'm going to my first Niner games in the mid-70s, you know, it was it was already official that the 49ers were terrible. And I can still remember coming home from church in the late 70s, and there would be, you know, messages from people, you know, saying, hey, you know, do you want our tickets? Um, and so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cool to be a Niner fan and it wasn't, the Niners weren't cool and they didn't win. And, uh, and then Dwight and Joe and Ronnie and 81 came along and the city, you know, took, took the city by storm. And, uh, my dad was a former San Francisco city attorney's office guy. So he had, his office was right there at city hall. And when the Niners won the Super Bowl, I, I got to stand out on his, on his, uh, you know, on his deck right there literally right over the stage like you know no more than a stone's throw away from dwight and his fur coat and he's on a rainy ugly monday everybody was celebrating and maybe it was a tuesday but uh it was incredible and and so dwight clark to me was a childhood hero and then i got a chance to meet him and get to know him through different events um before i started doing the niner pregame show you know just around town and, you know, the guy would come up to me and he'd be like, you know, Krug, I'm a huge fan of your show. And, and just to <laughs> hear that, I mean, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of uh, reaction. You know, we get tweets and texts and, you know, emails and people, lots of people give us lots of reaction. But for me personally, to have a guy who was like my childhood hero tell me that he likes my work was just so just blew my mind yeah it's amazing and rod brooks and i have talked about this before because he's you know dwight was very complimentary and he was a big fan of kmbr and so he's a big fan of rod's show as well and he you know he told rod that and it's like rod and i one time were talking about this just you know how that just blew our mind you know that that this guy who is such a you know such a big star and such a you know hero to a lot of us you know was now like our friend and, and a guy who was like complimentary of us so you know, I, I did a number of events with Dwight in recent years, and uh, you know, all I can say is just he was incredibly he was incredibly humble, he was incredibly kind, um, and and he'll he'll be missed. I mean, he was just a really he was cool. I mean, he really was cool. Yeah. And uh, I did an event literally about a month or two before he was diagnosed, and it was a it was like a plumber's convention, and it was me and him and Brandon Crawford of the Giants. And we just happened to be sitting in this room, and those guys were signing baseballs and footballs, and I was just sitting there rapping with them, and then we did this thing on stage for an hour and a half for Flaky Brothers or whatever it was. And, you know, Dwight was telling Brandon and I at the time, you know, hey, I've got this weakness in my hand, man, all the signing, and, you know, I don't know what it is, and I'm getting it tested, I'm getting it looked at. And, you know, and this was, be this is you know, before he even knew exactly what he had. And, you know, it's just so sad and it's just and it's just you know i hate that disease just to see what it did to such a great guy and um you know i i just i i you know i'll miss dwight he's just such a great guy and and um and, I, and he was a great niner I and mean, the other thing you know it's like people talk about the catch it's like this guy's moment really overshadowed 
what was a very good career. I mean, he was a two-time All-Pro wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and and just a you know a real a real special person in, on the field and off the field. And man, it's just a guy that I I already miss him. I already miss him, and I know Niner fans do as well. And it was it was inspiring to me, and I'm sure to you guys as well, to see the love that Eddie D showed for him, and and his former teammates showed for him, and it just it made me feel so good about the 49ers and so good about about how special their whole dynasty was beyond the championships. And uh, you know, I just know Dwight's in a better place, and 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 I'm and I miss him. Well, we appreciate you saying uh, some words about him and appreciate you coming on. And I also appreciate, I want to tell you now that I'm actually talking to you, you do a lot for me too, in terms of like retweeting me. And I know you've said some things about the stats I put out on Twitter and like for a small time guy like me, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you don't have to do that. So I, I appreciate you kind of supporting me and supporting the web zone and everything like that. That, that means a lot. So I do want to thank you for that. And then you're putting out, good, to, uh, you're putting out you, so. good content and that's really what it's about. I mean, it's like, um, it's, I, I think we're in an awesome era for coverage because you have traditional coverage, but then you have people who are not coming at it from a traditional means, but they are every bit as passionate, every bit as interested, every bit as, you know, into the topic. And it's made, it's, it's been a win for the fans for sure. And I've had a I lot agree. of fans tell yeah. me, tell me that, you know, they love being a sports fan in this, this era of life because there's so much out there for people who want to, who want to, you know, go through and digest it all and take it all in and it just makes it all makes, it makes the games more enjoyable. So believe me, I'm not retweeting. I don't retweet anybody just out of kindness. If I'm retweeting you, it's because you had a great comment, a great point or something that I think the audience and Niner fans would appreciate. We appreciate it. Appreciate all you do for the web zone, Larry, and appreciate your time. And it was good to talk to you, buddy. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care. All right, Zane. So as we get started here and just kind of break down all things Niners since the last time we've we've you and I have been together on a show, one of the things that happened was the Reuben Foster suspension. And for me, I, I was just because the NFL, you never know with them. It's like, I mean, it's throwing darts at a board in terms of these suspensions and who knows what side of the bed Goodell is going to wake up on and just throw how many games out at anybody. But with Foster, I was expecting it to be four or five games. I really was. And then I thought there'd be an appeal process and it would eventually get down to two. So I figured the suspension would have been two games, but it would have initially gotten more. And he only ended up with two. And I do kind of wonder if it was kind of a thing where they contacted the Niners or Foster's camp or whatever and said, all right, you know, listen, this is what you're going to get. We'll give you sort of a reduced game load if you don't appeal. Because you got to think too, if he gets two games, why didn't he appeal and try to get it down to one? And he didn't do that. So that's what it looks like. And listen, the Niners are lucky and Foster is lucky to get off with only two games, given the marijuana thing. And, and look, I, I think the NFL's whole stance on marijuana is outdated. I think it's archaic mm-hmm. Consider when you consider marijuana is you know legal in California, but the rules are the rules and it's illegal in the NFL. And, and, and that's right. I think, you know, the personal conduct and whatever else. And obviously he was found innocent of the other charges, but I think the marijuana, you know, was most of it. And, and he's got he's you know he's got to kind of pay the piper for that. And in his while he's out, I, I really feel Fred Warner's guy is going to step up. And Malcolm Smith will be one of the starters if he's healthy. You have to figure. I know Brock Coyle's there. I know Corey Toomer's there. But Fred Warner, the Niners went out and got him in the third round for a reason. And he's sort of this modern type linebacker. And I, I feel like he's going to push his way onto the field one way or another. But what were your thoughts kind of on this Foster thing? It was two games about what you thought too, or I'm thrilled that it's only two. 
I thought Ruben Foster was going to be gone initially for half a season, but obviously after the court case resolved itself, I knew it was going to be reduced suspension. Probably I, th- I was expecting four games. And when he got two, I was like, okay, that's fair. And the, you, you hit the nail right on the head, Al. You, you mentioned that he didn't appeal because it was probably something where John Lynch was directly talking to Ruben Foster and saying, Hey, you have to own this. Like you're very lucky to get such a small suspension given the charges that were laid against you. And he put Ruben Foster for the first time throughout this whole ordeal, finally put out a statement. And he mentioned how remorseful he was. He mentioned how he was going to try to be better. He basically said all the right things. And I think the 49ers handled this really, really well. If you step back and look at it from, from an outsider's point of view, like how they handle this whole process of the case playing out and not reacting right away and just waiting for all the facts. They, they handled it as best they could. And a lot of people, including myself, criticized the way that they were doing it. But I think in the end, now that everything is resolved, it looks like they did the right thing. And, and with Ruben Foster, he's, he's going to be gone for two games. And we know that. And maybe more barring any injury that he gets. Because the guy always, I mean, he plays 100 miles an hour, but the guy always gets hurt, right? So I'm hoping that he, he can play a full season after those two games. But like you said, this opens up an opportunity for a guy like Fred Warner. And I was actually watching his tape last night and I was looking at just some of his highlights and Al, he can, he can pretty much do everything. He's a, he's a cover linebacker. He's a sideline sideline guy. He's a converted safety actually. So he can cover tight ends and, and slot receivers as well. If need be, he's not, he's not like a, like a four, three or four, four guy, but he's quick enough where he can run sideline to sideline. I feel like he's, a little bit quicker than Ruben Foster in terms of his um, kind of closing speed. But I think that he's a much, much more raw prospect than Ruben Foster was coming out of college. So I think this is going to be a really great opportunity for the 49ers to just get him like a two game audition. I think what they're going to do is, is we have to remember that Brock Coyle came in here, basically a special teams guy. They were playing on playing him just on special teams alone and having him back up at, at, at middle linebacker and back up Ruben Foster. But because of the injuries to both Malcolm Smith and Ruben Foster early in the season, Brock Coyle had to play. I think he'll probably end up back on special teams where he's best. And you'll see him kind of either platooning with Fred Warner first couple of games or backing Fred Warner up. I think that it's going to be an open competition between them. And that's what the 49ers want. So really, Al, I think that uh, any way you look at this, it's it's a it's a good deal because not only do you get Ruben Foster back for most of the season, you also get to break in Fred Warner for a couple of games. I just hope everything with Foster works out because if he can stay on the football field, whether it's off field issues or injuries that take him off, but if he can just stay on the field, when you combine him with DeForest Buckner, all of a sudden you have two real, real blue chip players in that front Mm -hmm. seven. So it's huge for the Niners if if they can get him to really become that great linebacker. But there's still question marks about him staying on the field. We still have to see if he can keep his head on straight. We still have to see. I mean, listen, the guy went down in a heap every game last year. So we have to see if he can stay healthy. So much talent there. So many question marks. And and that's what kind of leads me into, and we'll talk about more about this later, but like when we talk about expectations for this team, he has to stay on the field he's a huge part of this team. And that's one of the things that sort of scares me. And it's kind of going under the radar. I feel like right now, everybody's kind of taking a deep breath with, Oh, okay. You know, it was only two games. We'll have him back. All right. But then, but then what, 
do you know what I mean? Are, are there going to be injuries? Is anything else going to happen? And, and look, you can't just turn a blind eye to everything that's happened. I, I think Ruben Foster is a great football player, but he's had off field issues. He's had injury problems. You know, he had the shoulder. He got, he seemed to get dinged up a lot last year. So we have to see what this guy brings. And listen, I hope he has a long tenure career, but right now the track record has to scare you. And even though, you know, the domestic violence stuff was was a bunch of garbage. You know, throw that out the window. But there's still mm-hmm. been other instances of him making bad decisions. And you don't know when that's going to pop up again. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't pop up again. I hope the Niners don't have to worry about it. But it's something that, to me, is going to be kind of a cloud over this team until maybe a year or so goes by. And you're like, all right, you know, it kind of looks like he's turned a corner. I hope the light bulb went on. Like, there's certain light bulbs. So yeah. Hope yeah, it was a wake up call. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's certain wake up call, like light bulb turning on moments that NFL players have, or anybody in life, right? Like anybody in any walk of life. I hope this was one for Ruben Foster because he he's very lucky. He's very fortunate, honestly. Let's let's be honest that that this wasn't worse than it actually was, and he has to take a long look at who he surrounds himself with. And Al, the one thing that I'm that I'm shocked about, absolutely just appalled at, is the fact that his his agents or his camp or whoever he's represented by have not said a word throughout this entire like year i mean aren't you supposed to stick up for your guys aren't you supposed to go out there and be a, be a representative for the person that that's basically paying you to handle their their off-field life and and, and everything that they surround themselves with so it's just it was just really shocking to me that where where is his representation like we talked to we talked to player agents we had some on the show Matt Alma is a great, a great one uh, example of that. Like he's actually out there for his guys. He represents his guys very well. Where's Ruben Foster's camp? Where, where yeah. have they been? What have they been doing? Right. So I, I think that that's another thing that he has to look at is like, who am I surrounding myself with? And I'm really hoping that he, he changes that first. And then everything else from there can really, really fall like just like dominoes. And hopefully he can continue making a productive NFL career because because look, Al, he, the talent on it, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievably talented. We knew that coming out of college, but he dropped so far in the draft because of the same thing that we were seeing like play out is the, is the character concern. So again, like I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think that, I, I think that he's turned the corner. I think that he'll be, he'll be okay. And I think that this was probably one of those moments where it was like a light bulb moment for him. Yeah, and he's like we said, he's an, he's an important piece of the defense, and he's got to be one of the sort of team leaders because there's a lot of youth on this defense right buckner's young and thomas is young and and witherspoon's young and colbert's young and you have all these young pieces that are going to kind of grow together and foster has to grow to be one of the leaders he does so we'll see where it goes but hey speaking of colbert did you see about him training with earl thomas i did i did and isn't that isn't it awesome to see these guys like akella witherspoon was training with richard sherman and akib talib a few weeks ago now uh, now Colbert's training with Earl Thomas. Isn't it great to see these guys surrounding themselves with other players that are great? Yeah, some of these guys seem to get it, you know, seem to kind of understand what they need to do to be successful. And look, you know, Earl Thomas is a good guy to train with in this defense. He's been, he's been pretty successful in this in this defense. So Colbert picking his brain is a good thing. And, you know, we're we're very high on Colbert. Look, the Niners really like Jimmy Ward. They really liked him going into last year and they wanted him to be their free safety. Now he got hurt, like, he's prone to do and eventually Colbert steps into the role role towards the end of the year and he played so well and looked like such a natural fit in this defense that Lynch and Shanahan come out and say like 
yeah, he's pretty much the starter right now. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's his job to lose. And Jimmy Ward is being regulated to sort of this very expensive utility role, which I think will end up being valuable for the Niners. I think they'll end up needing him. But it goes to show you just what Colbert's going to bring to this defense. And he could end up being, you know, one of the next really good safeties in this league. I think so. And that role, that Earl Thomas role is perfect for him. And the fact that he is kind of being Earl Thomas's understudy. Like, we, let's remember, they both came from the University of Texas and Colbert eventually transferred to uh, the U in Miami. But they came from the same alma mater, so that they, they had that bond. Um, obviously, there were many years apart, but that in itself tells me that, like you said, like he gets it. He understands. And same with Witherspoon as well. And when you have guys, how many times, Al, do we see a guy drafted and we're like, hey, I want that guy to talk to, like, if it's a receiver, I want that guy to, like, talk to Jerry Rice. Or if it's a quarterback, I want that guy to talk to Joe Montana or Steve Young or, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And these guys have now, in their first year, reached out to some of the best players in the game at that position. And that, that to me, shouldn't, cannot be understated enough. The fact that they're actually picking up on these tendencies and the fact that, like, the guy who he's supposed to be emulating, Adrian Colbert, in this defense, he's, he's working out with him in the offseason. I think he's a perfect fit for that role. He's got elite range. Like he ran like I've said this many times before. He ran a four two five forty, um, which I unfortunately uh, gypped him out a little bit on on the show that he was on. I think <laughs> I said he was he was like a four he was like a four three six guy. And he was like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? So yep. he was definitely a four two five four two four guy, and he's got elite speed, elite range. You saw in the last game of the season against the Rams, he had a he had a, a pass that he broke up near the goal line. You saw it against the Giants as well. We had a pass he broke up right on the sideline with a big hit. He is perfect for that spot. And if he can stay healthy, he has that swagger and that attitude and the the proper sort of demeanor to be able to play that position. Like I feel like to play defensive back in the NFL, you have to have a little bit of cockiness. You have to be a little bit arrogant, right? Not so much to the point where Rashad Robinson was at where he just stopped working and he didn't want to work anymore. And he was just like, he just talks the talk, but he could never really match the talk like i think that you also have to match it with your work ethic too and and adrian colbert and and the rest of the defensive backs seem to get it and the exciting part of the defense is that there's so many guys with the arrows pointed up mm-hmm. buckner thomas colbert witherspoon foster these guys all have the arrows pointed up and if you could just mix in some other guys like you know eric armstead can he finally at least so come somewhat close to his potential and armstead's a good player He's not a first-round pick type player, but he's he's a he's a good player. He's pretty good. So can he take that next step with guys like that? I mean, I know they still need that pass rush, but the defense is exciting. But I mean, without getting too much, you know, obviously we're getting training camp. We'll break down positions, but do you think this defense is going to take a step forward this year? Do you think there's going to be growing pains? Like, how, how do you feel about the defense right now? I think they'll definitely take a step forward. You have to look at who they added. They they added Richard Sherman, and I consider Malcolm Smith an addition. Like he, we didn't see him play at all last year. He got hurt. Actually, the day that I was at practice for the, the open practice, he got hurt that day. He tore his pec, missed the entire season. So it's almost like you're getting another free agent addition because you've never seen him in this defense before. And obviously with uh, the additions of Fred Warner and uh, Richard Sherman, and you're getting a full season of Colbert and Tart playing together, you are going to see a much different defense personnel-wise, a much more talented defense than they had last year. Uh, Keller Witherspoon sat out the first four games last year. He was inactive. So for a quarter of the season, he wasn't even playing. Um, Tart got hurt early on in the season. Colbert, you know, came in later on in the season after Jimmy Ward got hurt. So I think that 
what you're going to see is is a much more talented defense that's going to have some growing pains because they're really young, but you're going to see a defense that will play like Robert Sala says, play with violence and play with aggression and and just be really really fast and and sound in terms of their their fundamentals. Um, by the way, speaking of Robert Sala, did you hear him the other the other day? I don't know if you saw on 49ers.com, they had they had an interview with him, and he was talking about the Niners going. Uh, possibly going like a four game winning streak at the end of the season after maybe struggling early on. And he thought that they were going to make another late season run. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's kind of like a, like, like a mind game that he's kind of planting to see that, Hey, you're good enough to do this. So let's go out and do it. Or do you think this is one of those things where he's kind of just like putting it out there just to let teams know that, that, Hey, this is, this is a really good team. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I almost wonder if, you know, behind closed doors where the Niners think they are, if, if they, think they're sort of a borderline playoff team or maybe they feel they're a legitimate playoff team. I, I don't I don't know where they feel they are. You know, if you give them the truth serum, what 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 would they say? Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like I think they're a playoff team, but what does that mean? Well, believe about 10 wing wins is realistic, okay? But in the NFC, that may not even get you in the playoffs. I mean the NFC is loaded, dude. It is loaded. Minnesota is going to be great. Um, the Packers are always good with Aaron Rodgers. Philly's going to be terrific. Um, Carolina will probably be good. I'm forgetting a really obvious. Oh, the Rams are going to be really good. There's there's a lot of really good teams in this division that could probably, or in this conference, I should say, that can get to 10 wins. You know, maybe somebody else in the East takes a step up. Maybe the Giants or the Redskins have a good year. So it's possible that the Niners are 9 and 7, 10 and 6, and, and, and not in the playoffs. It's entirely possible. In one thing, in, in terms of them starting out slow, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility. You know, they have a lot of road games early. They're playing Minnesota week one that is not. Minnesota can go 14 and two. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is stacked. So if they go out that game and they lose 27 to 13, you know, it's, it, people shouldn't think the sky is falling. You have to be patient. This year's, you have to let this year play itself out, especially the way the NFL is now. We're like, look, teams aren't even really the team that they're going to be until four or five weeks because they don't have enough time in the offseason now. Mm-hmm. so it's it's gonna take it's it's gonna be a process and it's it's grapple's first full season he hasn't played with garson yet and there's mckinnon's new and you know there's a lot of things like that on the offensive side of the ball and, and young guys on the defense so it's gonna take some time it, it, it definitely is so patience is is the thing to, to preach with that and one thing i i did want to talk about i know we didn't we didn't say we we're gonna talk about this when we were preparing for the show but i want to talk about the guard competition um, and before I do that, I want to give a shout out because I talked about this on the show with, with Ronbo sports on the YouTube station mm-hmm. and Zane, I know you were just on the Ronbo show too. Ronbo was awesome. Zane and I had a ball being on that show mm-hmm. and you could follow him at Ronbo sports and it's a YouTube show. It's cool. Zane and I are both on it. Um, mine's already out. Zane is coming out and maybe out by the time the show comes out. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to our friends at nothing but Niners who had me on, um, the other night, another YouTube show that you could check out uh, from nothing but Niners. It was myself and um, Mike Andrews on that who did that show. And it was, it was cool. So thanks to those guys for, for having us on. It was a lot of fun, but anyway, on the Rodbo show, we talked about the guard competition and there's all this talk now about Joshua Garnett getting cut. And I think that is madness to talk about that right now. I really, really do. And the reason for that is Zane, who is Garnett competing against the Lake and Tomlinson thing? He was never competing against Tomlinson. Tomlinson was always going to be one of the starting guards. Lynch came out and said that they were trying to extend him early in the offseason, and they ended up getting it done. Garnett was never competing with him. So you look at the other guys at guard. Jonathan Cooper hasn't been on the field yet. Jonathan Cooper Mm -hmm. has a knee injury. We don't know what Jonathan Cooper is going to be. As far as the other guys, um, 
Eric Magnuson and um, uh, Mike Person. Those guys are probably competing with each other for more of like the utility interior offensive lineman role. And I think Magnuson's going to win that. But Garnett's competing with Cooper. We haven't seen Cooper on the field yet. So to say that he's going to get cut and this and the other thing, it's going to be a straight out competition. And the best man's going to win. And, and for me, I just think it's too, too way too early to say that. It is way too early. And I think that everybody who's, I, you know what it is? I think that everybody's suffering from a little bit of Trent Balky trauma right now. And Garnett was the last, the last class of Trent Balky, him and him and DeForest Buckner. And obviously Buckner is a star and Garnett got hurt and he's not really a scheme fit. So I can see why people are saying he's going to get cut, but usually you cut somebody because the guy that you're cutting him for is better than him. And I'm not sure that Jonathan Cooper is better. Jonathan Cooper is a former top 10 pick. I believe he's the number seven overall pick. And he never really panned out. Like he was, he was one of those guys that came into the league with all these expectations, top 10 pick. And, and he, he never really met them. So it's like, do you really want to rely on that guy to protect your, brand new hundred plus million dollar investment in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they're basically going to, what they're going to do is they're going to have a competition. Uh, you mentioned Magnuson in person. I, that, that, that competition there is literally just for the, the utility extra offensive line spot. I think that the fact that Eric Magnuson can play pretty much any position on the line is going to cement him as, as like the swing tackle or the guy that comes in um, first off the bench, like the mm-hmm. sixth offensive lineman. But I think that, at, at guard to start, you, you really can't, obviously Lakin Tomlinson has one spot locked up, but you really can't say that it's, it's going to be Garnett or Cooper because really Garnett is more of a road grader. He's not, he's not a great pass blocker. And when you put him, uh, the thought is he'll probably be next to McGlinchey. So you really have two guys there that on the right side of the line that may not excel at pass blocking. And I'm not sure if they want to do that. So I think mm-hmm. we're, what they're going to do point. is, yeah, they, they may they may take the better pass blocker out of the two because we already know McGlinchey's not his strength is not pass blocking. He's a, he's a better run mm-hmm. blocker. So I think that what they're going to do is they'll probably try to balance that out by by putting the better pass blocker out of the two beside him. That's another good point too. And I I, I want to say I said this on another show, but I don't remember. But in terms of McGlinchey, they're going to take a step back with pass blocking. It is completely unfair to come in and ask for him to pass block the way that Trent Brown did. Trent Brown was one of the mo- best ta- pass blocking pass blocking tackles I can't talk in the league last year he was outstanding now I know he struggled in the run game and that'll probably McGlinchey will be better there but it's it's going to hurt them in the passing game he's not going to be as good as, as Brown was last year it would be a shock if he was now could he get there absolutely but probably not next season so that's a good point you don't want it to be that right side to be a sieve you know McGlinchey's going to have his issues as a rookie and who you put next to him yeah that, that's a really good point in, you know, Ritzberg will hold it down at the center position. He's a good pass blocker. Look, Tomlinson, he played well with Garoppolo, but he struggled at the beginning of the season, too. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness to him, he did come in late. He was learning a complicated system, and he did play better as the year went on, but he also wasn't very good in Detroit. So yeah. what kind of player are we going to get? And, you know, we know Staley is solid. So right now, you know you have two good pass blockers in an offensive line. The other ones we'll see about. Mm-hmm. So Garoppolo's quick release is probably going to have to be quick this year because we don't know on the offensive line. And that's where, again, with these expectations, just kind of got to be realistic right now. It's every right to be excited, every right to think the team could win 10 games. They can do all of those things, but there's still a lot of holes on this team. There's still a lot of things that we don't know. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you too, Zane, was in terms of the receivers, there's an article, I want to say um, Bill Barnwell, maybe. He's a guy from ESPN, right? he a yeah. person bill barnwell yeah. he's a person right yeah anyway yeah. i think he wrote an article and he did like the 
the top weapons or whatever in, in the league. And the Niners were ranked 26th. Okay. That thought was low. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that team, they don't have, you know, they don't have a Julio Jones. They don't have an Odell Beckham. They don't have a guy who really scares you. But as a collective group, pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's underrated. I mean, if you look at sort of the weapons as a group, you have Garcon, sort of that chain mover. Mm-hmm. Goodwin can take the top off of defense. Trent Taylor's another guy in the slot that can, you know, catch the ball. Bourne's up and coming. And then you have Pettis as a second rounder. So you hope that they see him as, as an impact player. Kittle had this 515 yards, I believe, as a rookie, which we've gone over it a million times on this show that if you look at the top 10 ends in the league as a rookies, that's more yards than Jimmy Graham had as a rookie. It's more yards than Zach Ertz did. It's more yards than Antonio Gates did. Only the only real notable tight end who had more yards than him as a rookie was Gronk. So Kittle can take that next step. It's more than Vernon Davis, too. Vernon Davis, yeah. Vernon Davis was only the 200s his first year, yeah. So, you know, I like McKinnon in the passing game. I think Breed is going to have a good year running the ball. There's nobody that really jumps out and scares you, but there's a lot of guys with a with a play caller like Shanahan that could just kind of find their niche. And with a quarterback like Garoppolo, you feel like he can deliver the ball to these guys. And you may not have guys with you know 100 catches and 1500 yards. That might not happen, but you may have all these guys who just contribute, and you just see a long list of players every week with receptions. And you know, seven or eight guys had a reception this week, and three or four of them had more than four or five catches. And it may be that sort of thing where there's just, everybody's kind of getting the ball. There's just, there's just so many different ways to distribute it. I always caution everybody when they read national news articles, because a lot of these national guys, as good as they are, and, and I don't want to disrespect anybody, but as good as they are, they don't really get down into the nitty gritty of every single team. Because think about like big Bill Barnwell's he's, he's a great writer. I, I have a lot of respect for him. But he doesn't have the time to be researching all 32 teams like sixth receiver, right? He's not going to be doing that. Basically, mm-hmm. they'll look at trends, they'll look at what's in front of them, and they, they'll extrapolate based off of that. But nobody really has the time to watch 32 teams worth of wide receiver film. It's, it's impossible. And be able to put out like an article in, the, in a reasonable amount of time. So that's the first piece of the first caution that I, that I use when I read these things. But when you look at the personnel that the 49ers have at receiver like you said they have a guy that can basically do everything they've got a chain mover they've got a deep threat they've got a slot guy they've got you know they've got guys who can go over the middle they've got a tight end who's a mismatch they've got a running back who can catch and if you take the names off of all of those players and say well player a b c d e f g everybody would love that in their offense this is a complete offense they have everything that they need to be successful now are they household names Pierre Garcon was one a few years ago, but you know, they're not like guys that you immediately think of that are elite receivers, but I think that's going to bode even better for the 49ers because you're not forcing force feeding a number one receiver. Like we hear all these Des Bryant rumors and things like that. I don't think it's a good fit because you don't need a number one receiver on this team. The number one receiver on this team is going to be the guy that gets open. And that's going to be the guy that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to throw the ball to. He's not going to, it's not going to be like when when T.O. was on the 49ers and Jeff Garcia was just chucking the ball to him all the time or when Jerry Rice was here and they were giving him the ball or even when Crabtree was here and they were force-feeding him the ball when when he even when he wasn't open. I think it's going to be one of those offenses that is balanced. And like you said, you may get seven receivers a game catching a ball. You may get none of the receivers having over 1,000 yards, or but maybe like three of them are clo- like close to 900. I think it's going to be one of those years that you, you probably won't see a thousand yard receiver this year from the 49ers. You're going to see a lot of guys 
that are getting a lot of catches and the, and, and the, the targets will be spread around, but you'll see a, a lot of guys moving the chains. Like Trent Taylor is a great example. Nobody knows who Trent Taylor is outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But if you look at st- statistically, on Pro Football Focus put out this statistic that uh, tracked third down catches and uh, passer rating on third down uh, with being targeted. So Trent Taylor was the, yielded the highest passer rating when being targeted on third down in the league. And most people don't know that because people don't, again, people don't pay attention to the 49ers right now because they're not an elite team. But we know that because we see it all the time. Mm. So all of this talk about the 49ers weapons not being up to par and all that stuff, A, it's just on paper. They haven't played it down yet. And B, they're better than a lot of people think. And that's the thing. If these guys take the jump that they should, you know, if Kittle goes from 515 yards to 700, 800, 100, all of a sudden he's in that Zach Ertz conversation, you know, with that kind of production. And now the Niners have this big productive tight end. And if, if Taylor goes from 43 catches, which is a rookie is a lot, it was the third most this year for rookie wide receivers. If he goes up to 70, well, all of a sudden now they have this, this, slot guy who catches all these balls you know yeah it's just people like look at numbers and and just kind of look at highlights and that sort of thing and then they're like oh all right yeah i guess this guy can play mm-hmm. and kyle shanahan it's almost like yeah he says there's not a lot of julio jones jones is out there and there's not so if you can get a guy like that you get people who fit certain roles in your systems and mm-hmm. i always say this isn't like a square peg round hole thing with trent balky where you're like oh i'll get tory smith and you know I never throw him the ball you know that sort of thing yeah Shanahan knows a role for all these guys. He has a vision for what he's doing with all of these guys, which is exciting. The 49ers are synonymous with offense. You know, they always had been until, you know, the early 2000s started or whatever it was. But now that's back and they have this offensive mind that's going to know how to utilize all these chess pieces. And it's really exciting to watch. It is. And if you ask anybody, I said this on Ron Bo's, uh show when I was on there and, and, and I, and I said that, if you were an NFL player, if you were an NFL offensive player, like a skill, a skill player, who would you want to be in terms of uh, where, or where would you want to be in terms of the coaching staff and the offensive minds? There's like a, there's like an upper echelon and in the upper echelon, you've got Josh McDaniels, you've got Sean McVay, you've got Doug Peterson and you've got Kyle Shanahan and you can order those guys any way that you want. But I know that one of those guys had an awful roster and he basically made gold out of it like this was al we were talking about owen owen 16 at one point with this team last year Mm -hmm. and kyle shanahan basically dragged six wins out of them yes jimmy garoppolo helped but like it's also the scheme as well like like he put him he basically put him in the best position to succeed by giving him a quarter of the playbook and said all right we're gonna do what you do well we're gonna roll with that and what you don't know what you can't execute we'll throw that out until next year and we'll work on the offseason and he is a master schemer. And I think that that's how the 49ers are going to have to win this year. Like they don't have blue, a lot of blue chip talent yet. Um, they're not just like one player away. This is not like the Harbaugh years where they have a perennial Super Bowl roster. He's going to have to outsmart people. He's going to have to play chess when other people are playing checkers. And I think that there is no better offensive mind to do that than Kyle Shanahan. Like he's able to, he's so creative. He, he doesn't repeat plays. He disguises a lot of stuff and the, the sky's the limit with him. And I think that's why people have those expectations. But again, like we can't rely on past performance to predict future success, right? Like it just doesn't work like that. We, that's all we have to rely on. So we try to, but you can't, you really have to kind of take it each season and each game as its own individual entity and kind of take away from that. So I think that 
I, I gave I gave like a prediction, like a loose prediction of like nine and seven on Rombo's show. But I think that um, closer to the season, we'll have our, our actual prediction show where we go game by game and and talk about each of these. But I think that the ceiling is like ten and six for these guys, and the floor is like eight and eight. They're they're going to be a good team. They'll be a playoff contending team. They may not make the playoffs because, like you said, the NFC is top heavy. But I think that, or not even top heavy, it's it's heavy all the way around. Mm-hmm. But I yep. think that. The, it's not a disappointment if they go eight and eight. It's not a disappointment if they go nine to seven because they still improved off of last year. And there's a fine line between seven and nine, ten and ten. It's, it, you know, a few plays can be the difference. You never know how the season's going to go. So the Niners can come out and play really well and lose a few tough games, and they're seven and nine. You know, mm-hmm. they could catch some breaks and maybe they get eleven wins. Who, who knows? Who knows? It's it's going to be crazy to see how the season goes. I I can't wait. And we'll get into it. You know, we definitely will. The training camp's a couple weeks away. And, and today we just kind of did an overview show. You know, we're just getting back on the air here. But we'll really start breaking it down with training camp coming up. And, you know, we have some great guests and all that stuff. I want to thank Larry Kruger for coming on. Always such a ball to talk to him. And remember, you could follow me at alsacco 49 You could follow Zane at Zane49ers. And, of course, 49ers WebZone at 49ers WebZone. And we'll be back the week of the 23rd with Ted Robinson, the voice of the 49ers. So really excited about that. So until next time, thanks, everybody.